Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Alex Lehman, a writer and director whose credits include Blue Jay, Paddleton, and Meet Cute. His latest, Acid Man, is a drama starring Thomas Hayden Church as a solitary fellow who spends his days trying to make contact with extraterrestrials until his long-estranged daughter shows up at his door with some personal news. It's now available on digital and on demand in the U.S. and Canada, and you should check it out. Alex picked Ed Sonoda's Nine Days, a frankly brilliant metaphysical drama starring Winston Duke as Will, a man who spends his time in a little house in the middle of nowhere, auditioning souls to be born into the world and keeping tabs on the people they become. It's an unfussy drama that places its lead in an entirely convincing universe, surrounding him with a supporting cast that includes Benedict Wong, Zazie Beetz, Bill Skarsgård, and Tony Hale. And despite some obvious debts to Hirokazu Kureda's afterlife, Nine Days becomes its own remarkable thing. If you haven't seen it, you really should. This is someone else's movie. Well, Nine Days is, uh, I mean, it's its exactly the kind of movie that I like to make. Um, and I think it was made, maybe constructed in a better way than I could have ever uh, hoped to make myself. It's just a really great excuse to talk about um, philosophy, existentialism, uh, empathy, um, sensitivity, why we're here and what we can do, you know, to, to make the most of our time. But the, the, you know, the, the premise that's built around it is, it's just brilliant and reminds me of like a, a really great, like Borges short story or something that just blows your mind and, and, and makes you, uh, question everything and, and appreciate life itself. That's a good way to put it. Um, uh, did you see it? Did you, were you lucky enough? Cause I know it opened in the, in 2020, were you lucky enough to see it in a theater? I, I watched it at home myself. I didn't get to see it in a theater. It, it kind of, um, I mean, I feel bad for the movie. It, it, it went under the radar. It's so good and it, and it deserves so much, uh, so many more accolades and so much more viewership than it got. I saw it because I was, um, I wanted to cast Winston Duke in something and, um, it's mutual friends that actually uh, made the film and they, they sent me a link and, and said, you have to see this. And um, yeah, I watched it with my wife and we just looked at each other like, what the heck? And I, I try to get people to watch it all the time. And um, unfortunately, as excellent as this movie is, it, it, it suffers, you know, that, that same not a Marvel movie syndrome that, that so many great films do. Uh, and, and I think that the other, you know, the other shame is, I mean, I don't know if you see this, but like a, a lot of a lot of critics, they'll talk about you know, and and audience members like movies that have come out in the last year or two. People will will key in and go like, ah, this was obviously a, a pandemic movie. I can tell because there were like four people in like two locations out right. in the woods. And you know, first of all, it's like, yeah, screw you. It was because it was the <laughs> pandemic. Like, what do you expect? Like, we had. To, you're welcome, by the way. But but this movie was made before the pandemic, but unfortunately, it came out. You know at a time that everybody was really resistant to the idea of being reminded of isolation. And and so I think the timing was just rather unfortunate um, on that end. Yeah. Um, looking back and realizing that it played Sundance just, you know, weeks before the world ended, basically, yeah. it, it feels almost prescient that way because not only is it about isolation, but so much of it is about, you know, the, the things that we were all trapped alone with questioning who you are, what you want, what you want to do, where you're going. And to see a film 
that is also so clearly indebted to afterlife, to to Kareda. Um, and wrestling with those things from a Western perspective, from a very American perspective, because, you know, you have this weird ragged individualism thing going on. Um, and just, and to, to do it all in this quiet, philosophical, open way with, with such an amazing, and I, yeah, I, I, I went back and read my, my little review that I wrote uh, at the time. And it's just, because I couldn't, we couldn't even talk uh, the editors into doing a feature review. I couldn't, I read it over again and I could feel myself straining to pack all the ideas into, you know, 200 words. I could not say enough. I literally didn't have room, but I could not say enough about what Winston Duke is doing. Cause it is, yeah. I've seen him be, you know, eccentric. I've seen him be big. I've seen him be self-aware. I've seen all of these things from him, but I've never seen him hold himself in the way he does in this. Mm -hmm. And then when it finally pours out of him, it's just, absolutely shattering and i remember as, as you say it was almost like pulling teeth to get people to go see it uh even once it was available i, I put together my top 10 list at the end of the year and it's on there and and a number of people friends of mine are like what is that i don't even know yeah. what that is and it's like well yeah. i was shouting about it in the summer but clearly you had other priorities and i think they probably still haven't caught up to it which is just a heartbreaker it is such a good movie well, i think yeah there there was this there were those couple of months in 2020 when we were all like, mm, yes, and, and, you know, introspection and self-reflection and like quiet moments and like, let's really ask ourselves the questions. And then like everybody got past that. We're like, okay, and now let's do everything. Go go to Europe, like get as far away possibly <laughs> from, from being inside our heads and inside our souls. Like we got enough of that, like check that box for the next five years. Um, so yeah, the, the, the timing, the time is a shame, but it's such a, brilliant film and um i like i like that it's um you know because it's it's a very pixar film in some ways it's just the the tone and, and i guess you could compare it to soul right like that like yeah. maybe that's the way to pitch it to people it's like hey you like soul right like this is like you know soul but live action just a little less you know upbeat and humorous but way more uh fulfilling and, and poignant um but but i i just it's I like films that can take a really honest look at the struggle. I mean, I've, every one of my films has at least uh, a, a dash of ennui, if not, um, you know, some sort of uh, internal struggle, you know, existentialism, you know, all those questions that I've not been able to stop asking myself since I was like five years old on the swing set. Uh -huh. But, 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 but it's not a downer. It just it faces things in a way more realistic way than most films are are, are willing to do. So it's brave in in, in that way. But um, man, if if nothing else, the end of that film just makes you want to live. And Zazie Beetz's character, she makes you want to appreciate even the littlest best things in them. She's Amelie. Right, like that's a, yeah. if she would have gone on right to to live out in the, in the in the real world, like if her soul had been selected, she would have been Amelie. Um, and everybody loves Amelie. Like that that's the movie that reminds you to appreciate the good things. So, yeah, the setting is a little more simple and quiet, and and I think that scares people. Quiet, quiet scares people. But um, ah, uh, it just I think it's it's fulfilling. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, and I think the other problem too with explaining it to people, with with selling it to people, at least for me, was if you start explaining it, it sounds just incredibly dull. I mean, you, you picture you picture a void, right? Like people just talking about nothing. And 
what it does instead. And again, you start telling people about the production design and they make a face, but, but the idea that you're watching someone just bathe in regret and, and, and sit in his own sadness that he won't express or won't acknowledge. Um, and, and the world is, it's not threadbare exactly. It looks pretty comfortable, but yeah. it's in the middle of, no, like it's in the middle of a desert, which probably doesn't even exist. And the way that so much of the film is designed to show us someone who hasn't developed, who's willingly just sort of stayed still to do this work for whatever reason, but also all the technology is old and analog, all the equipment is a little worn. There's a sense of forever. There's a sense of eternity about this. And mm -hmm. it's also understated. The, like the, the incalculable distance that Kyo has to come to visit him. And it's so also yeah. so great to hear Benedict Wong speaking with his own accent because he never gets to do it. He's a northerner and he mm -hmm. never gets to be a northerner. He's always putting on the, the English affect. Um, and here this just this, this, this working class kind of Joe job thing they're both doing, which is when you pull back even the tiniest bit, the most important thing that anyone can do for anyone. Yes. Um, but it's just a cog in the wheel. Yeah. And we I never see it. the wheel. That's what I love about it. Yeah. Like everything yeah. is so distant and so removed that it could be hell. It, it isn't, I don't think, uh, I don't think Will is in hell, even in a hell of his own design. I think he, he is doing this because he feels he has to, but, but there's meaning to it. Yeah. And then they hit you with this, this concept, which sounds so hokey and goofy yeah. Uh, and it's just presented as, well, you don't exist yet. Let's find out who you are. Yeah. The problem is the pitch, the premise sounds like a student film. Mm. The execution and how well it actually works is like Oscar level, or at least like, you know, uh, when Oscars were a little bit more meaningful uh, <laughs> level. The, the, no, there's some good movies still winning Oscars, but, but, um, but like the less commercial or whatever, Sundance, sure, sure. you call it a Sundance level uh, premise in, in its execution. It's just, uh, yeah. And in, in the pitch, it does kind of make you and and how threadbare everything is. It it presents as, oh, this could be like a really, uh, you know, entry level student film just, just in the premise, just because it's like, are you kidding me? That can't work. That's going to be heady <laughs> or it's going to be. Um, you know, talking down to you or, or, or reductive. Um, and I think part of the reason it, it works, I don't know Ed Sonoda, uh, the, the, the filmmaker, but it, it feels like he just completely bared his soul in this. And I feel very, very protective of, of a man I've never met. I don't think I've even like heard him speak, you know, so I can't, I can't like emotionally connect with him beyond the film, but I just want to like protect him from our toxic, you know, which is just dangerous film industry. I'm like, like, yeah, you, 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 yeah, you, you're like the main character will here. Like I, like this, this world doesn't deserve you. <laughs> the world of cinema doesn't deserve you and it's going to eat you up. And um, you should be making your art in a very protected, safe place. Like, I want you to be able to, to do that Walt Whitman speech. And I don't want anybody to hurt you while you do it. Because, by the way, maybe the, end, the ending is maybe the second best ending to uh, a, a modern indie film I've ever seen. 
Um, there's only one other film that I think maybe like does a, does a better ending, and that's another round. Um, uh, yeah, okay, um, I can and, see that. And and only and I'll say that only because um, you know it's it's a little easier to to jump to the end of another round uh, on any given day and just watch that ending and you know get up and go for it in life. But um, but but the it it was such a well constructed ending, and it just catches you off guard, and it makes you. For as much as there is this, or not afterlife, but I guess before life premise for the entire film, I I, I know we we, in a way we know that it is the the movie is also about Will and about uh, his past life, um, but but the brilliant thing about the ending and that I'm trying not to give away too much while also like you know telling the audience why they have to see this, <laughs> of course, is is like just that end scene makes you realize how much this is about not just the pre-life, but it is also about Will's journey. And like, um, you, you realize, okay. So, so heaven movies, afterlife movies don't work usually because it's like, what's the point? If like everything is possible and life is infinite, then like nothing matters. It's almost like a metaverse movie where it's like, sometimes they can work, but like, if you really kind of start thinking about it, you're like, well, if there's infinite versions of everything, then everything does happen. And so like, who cares? There's a version of me that's happy today. There's a version of me who's sad today. And like, don't bother making the sad version happy. Like they're all going to exist. That's the point. Um, but, but so the, the pre-life and by the way, I think that's how we should pitch this movie to people. You and I is go like, <laughs> listen, afterlife movies don't work. This is a pre-life movie, which makes, you know, there's, there's so many stakes because of that. But the other thing that's really cool is like the stakes aren't just for the one soul who's going to live in in real life we're also realizing and i and i think it it is that that keo character that's like somebody says it i forget who but somebody says like what if like there are other people watching us and we're you know and, and it just it makes you realize like oh yeah like there is a purpose to like what these characters are doing as well as as this this place that they're hopefully going to mm-hmm. I'm getting a little bit broad. I just, I'm, I can't give away too much, but. Yeah, but that's the problem, right? You cannot explain to people why it's so exhilarating without talking about the ending. And it isn't even based on the premise. It's not even about who gets picked, right? Like no. that's not what the film is about. No. It's, it's about this explosion of feeling from a, out of a monotone, but the monotone, it's not an insult to say that the film maintains a very level balance for the first 80 odd minutes, it's just drawing us closer and, and the softness and the, the way it is so gentle with the emotional stakes and, and letting us sort of sit with Will when he realizes that one of his charges has died. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's clearly more meaningful to him than it is to anyone else in the room, which I find really fascinating too. Like he, he has died as we discover. I mean, it's not a real surprise. Yeah. I think it's, it's just sort of baked in again. This is someone who has lived and is deciding if other souls are worthy of that journey. Yeah. And the fact that he is so distraught, even though he won't express it, that this affects him when Amanda dies in an accident um, is something that, that, like Winston Duke just wears in his neck for the rest of the movie. He's just yeah. carrying this in his silence. And finally, when it comes out, it's he's grieving for her. He's grieving for himself. He's oh, grieving yeah. for this other thing that's happening that he has no control over separately because he made a decision for one thing that 
that has an effect on the others. And it's, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like it. It's the one time where the film almost sort of, because of the desert setting and because of the, the sunset and, and the way that it's shot, it sort of almost tilts into Terrence Malick, but that's so not what Terrence Malick is about. It, mm -hmm. It's just, it's its own thing. And I'm I'm reeling and looking for things to connect it to. I, yeah, the ending of Another Round is another perfect example. That's never been done before. Um, not in this way. And, you know, you, you, people, oh, yeah, this film ends with a dance. Yeah, but it's the culmination emotionally of everything we've seen. And it's an interpretation the same way that the dance in another round is, right? Because these aren't his words. He's delivering something. Yeah. But it's got that quality of this, this heartbeat, this discovery, this moment where that you, I, honestly don't know that I've ever heard those words spoken that way before or, or that they should have been. This is, it's so incredible and, and indescribable and it's not what the movie's about, but it is. Yeah. And yeah, it feels like a little miracle. Yeah. I mean, it's essentially, it's, it's just, it's a story of a, of a guy who, who got a chance to live on earth, a soul that got a chance to live on earth was too sensitive, couldn't handle it, took his own life. He's basically sworn to himself that he never wants to let that happen again. And so he's going to be, he's going to be very intentional in which souls he selects to, to allow to live because he, he wants to make sure that he, he doesn't let anyone suffer the same fate as himself. And the beginning of the movie is him basically realizing he screwed up. He's allowed someone else as sensitive as he was to, to live and, and not be able to withstand uh, the the difficulty, the harshness of life. And so he's like thinking, I have to double down and be even more protective of that. And it's, I mean, it's basically, and so we think the whole time, like this is what it's, he's, he needs to write that wrong. And in truth, the wrong is being righted by Zazie Beats, right? She's the one that's going, hey man, but if you wall up as much as you do, Winston Duke, then we don't get to see the real Winston Duke and then you're not living. And so you're not living in this place of not living instead of like just letting it go and being an artist again. And so she teaches him how to, she teaches how to live in, in, in this ambiguous pre-life world. It's, it's, oh God. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it sounds so heady. People just watch it. It's just, you'll feel so much. Uh, <laughs> it's, I, I feel like we're two college students smoking a joint, know, talking about like, you know, the, the cosmos might be in our fingernails, man. Like it's so hard to really um, nail it down. Um, but like, my, thank God it's not like some flying woman with a cape shooting purple lasers at some flying dude with a cape shooting red lasers like yeah wizard uh, hands is how i describe it like people <laughs> just making wizard hands at each other across a big a big digital scape yeah. but and, and you know the other thing too that fascinates me about those movies is that they make these movies possible because every single person in this film maybe not tony hale has been associated with some sort of superhero or, or giant franchise like bill skarsgård yeah. is in what he's the he's the monster in it and in John Wick four and and Zazie Beetz was in Joker and um, Deadpool yeah. two right and and Benedict Wong is 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 Wong uh, the Doctor Strange and the Avengers and all of that and then of course Winston Duke is in Black Panther and all of them are charismatic lively interesting people who yeah. I think are happier doing this than they are in the other things but the other things make it possible. 
for him for, you know, like Winston Duke can do Black Panther and us back to back and then pick the script up and go, no, no, I'm taking the time and I'm making this thing next. And because Black Panther 2 needs him, that can yeah. be negotiated and yeah. and the funding can happen. And and I was doing a little tiny bit of research on this and I was stunned. A24 passed on this? Mm. This is so A24. This is this this is like catnip to them. But it just didn't spark to them somehow. And Searchlight also turned it down. And so they had to go and put it together independently. And Sony Pictures Classics didn't buy it until a month or two weeks after Sundance. Well, I I think it's it's not cool enough for for A24. And I don't mean that in any sort of a, a reductive or right? you know, it's no insult. It's just it's not um there's no there's no hip element to it. It's just it's it's not even like emotionally aware in in the way that's that's you know trending on TikTok right now. It's just it's just real, and and I think that like that the lack of filters uh, doesn't work for a twenty four. No no offense to a twenty four, but like it's to me it's like the Instagram of you know uh, like Instagram filter of, of movies. Like even like their logos like just looks like a bunch of Instagram filters. If there isn't the filter, <laughs> if there isn't some sort of enhancing filter to to um to a story i don't think that necessarily fits a24 and they've done a brilliant job of making things cool or or you know or interesting through through a lens that yeah usually has some kind of fresh pov or energy but this this one just lays it bare and and i think that that um that scares people Hey, it's Norm, interrupting my own show to bring you up to speed on Shiny Things, my twice-weekly newsletter about physical media, culture, and the odd streaming project. Last week, I wrote about Universal's unrated edition of Megan, or M3gan, or whatever, and Criterion's new releases of Ruben Ostlin's Triangle of Sadness and Steve McQueen's Small Axe Films. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at shiny-things.ghost.io, or find a link at the Semcast Twitter account. Look, if I don't do this, my head falls off. Come check it out. I wonder if that's it too, like the the pitch of here, we're going to ask you to think about your choices in life for two hours while you watch these very attractive people think about their motivations for existing. And there is like, there's a horrible Instagram version of this. It's exactly the thing you were just describing. And someone will probably try to make it in two years. Yeah. It'll be a genre piece. Yeah. It'll be high, It'll be hidden, right? Like it'll be cloaked. And yeah, as you say, the fact that this doesn't do anything to disguise what it's about is mm-hmm. the power. It's why it works. It's earnest. Yeah. And I don't know that people like earnest anymore. And it's still the thing that I respond to the most. I mean, after Sun kind of proves that there's a way to do it, which is also an A24 release, but there, there are ways to just, you know, wrestle with emotional truths and trauma and pain and, and, glory in the fact that we have the people we love while they're around. Um, this is, my dad died last fall and I saw After Sun like a month before it and have really been kind of mustering up to watch it again, given what it's about. But also this was a film that just, I don't know that I could have handled it after. Um, it's, it's, I mean, I can now because uh, I've already seen it and I know where it goes and there's that part of your brain that says it's going to be all right. But Oh, wow. It's just, it's so, it's so tangled up with the person watching the film. Like it's watching me back in a ways that few films do. 
Well, I think we're conditioned to um, want to be distracted. I mean, it's a survival mechanism to a certain extent mm. to distract ourselves and to not not have to face truth for for too long. And that's cool. I'm down with that too. By the way, sometimes I watch cartoons at the end of the day just so that like my brain can unwind and and so that I can sleep. And uh, you know, <laughs> like I I need I need those uh, uh, those endorphins. I, I I need to feel good. I need to feel happy as well. And um, sometimes real is happy and sometimes real is, is not happy so i get it but i also think that marketing is just a lot easier when you can package something in a in a higher concept um and truth be told i'm i'm searching for higher concepts um bigger concepts to make my movies i still want to make them as as honest and as human as possible but i i get the fact that like if you have some sort of element that that um that draws audiences in like the the second last movie i made was called meet cute i was about like to a, say yeah yeah like a tanning bedtime machine groundhog day element i mean like we don't stay there you know people think like oh it's gonna be um palm springs like it kind of the entry point is palm springs but we go to some other places um but i get it that like the difference between that versus my other movies was like you could just say tanning bedtime machine groundhog day uh rom-com and people knew what it was and they there was a comfort in like watching something that they you know feel like they'd already seen before and it's how you trick people into the meat getting to the thing that you want i recently saw an ensemble drama with just a bunch of moving parts that are all vaguely recognizable but it's the means by which it tricks you into getting what the real story is and that's that's perfectly respectable you know you think about the way um you know, Adam McGuinn's Exotica defined a certain type of chronological scrambling that all leads to a single place. And then everybody started doing it. It's the defining uh, mechanism, plot mechanism of, of Miramax Indies from 1995 to 2003. And that gives us the everything is connected narratives that are babble and all, and you know, like all of those other stories. And they're still coming through now. Crash, which won the Oscar. And if you strip out the mechanisms and you just have the the dialogue and the bones of it, yeah. you can go terribly flat, right? Like if you're not skilled enough, if you're not Edson Oda, that movie's dull. Yeah. And and here he's just nine days uses space and time and distance and even the way the characters are positioned opposite one another, which is I think another reason people might have thought it was a pandemic movie, because there is space between everyone. So and much. it's it's like it's a visual motif about will's inability to connect but it's also just this great stark powerful visual people outdoors with space between them that i guess does now have a different meaning post 2020. Yeah. um but yeah things like things like meet cute are the the better version of that the better version of a device being used as a, as a lever to trick people in plus you also have pete davidson which immediately makes people assume things about who he is which i think is great yeah but it, it, i i the the goal, the North Star for me in, in filmmaking at this point, knowing how hard it is to get people to watch things, but also how pointless it is to make something that has no nutritional value or, <laughs> or just exists 10 times already um, is, is, you know, I had this realization like Bob Marley, right? Now, people still listen to his music. Right? He's long gone. And they associate his music with partying, keggers, joints. Yeah, yeah sure. And that's great, right? 
his his music will live on forever because as soon as you hear it, you just think, what do, what dorms are the party in? But but like there are amazingly important lyrics that are hidden within that that sugar coating of 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 fun and and upbeat. If if Bob Marley had said, "Allow me," like, can I talk to you about like? racism can i talk to you about like slavery and and how we took people from africa like you'd be like oh dude it's a friday evening like <laughs> kind of you know i wanted to like go have some fun could we talk about this like on monday but instead he, he he just lures you in with this fun where you might not even some some people might for like the first 300 times they've heard the song and they have 300 the 301st time they finally listen to the lyrics and go oh shit <laughs> Got it. And that that is such a better way, I think, to feed people nutrition. It's like, you know, and we owe it. We're entertainers at the end of the day. And I have to remind myself, like, I got to keep finding ways to, like, give the audience something, not just say, hey, allow me to uh, bring you down to this place of introspection. Right? Allow me, allow me, like, I want to make things real. I want to talk about, like, growth. I want to share a little bit about myself. Like, I think I do, you know, owe, owe them some fun, some distraction and and catharsis. And and in the middle there of that whole fun sandwich, um, you know, to do the thing that that I've wanted to do with every one of my movies. So, um, so that's the goal moving forward. And I mean, you know, with Acid Man, there was a little bit of that uh, because th that film started as something very very simple that had no sci-fi twist to it whatsoever. And oh, I was yeah. like trying to figure out like how do I how do I possibly like make people interested in this. It was originally father son story too, but father like how do I bring people into this character story? How do I make this about something bigger? And um, you know that story. I mean, ET was originally um, there were there were there was no alien in the in Spielberg's original story about ET. It was just a story about a family facing uh, you know uh, the divorce and and the yeah. father leaving them and and it was just the emotional trauma and people were like it's a beautiful story Stephen, but people aren't going to watch it and he goes what if i put an alien in it and i wanted to get to acid man as well because it is a sec effectively it's about a man alone in in the wilderness with his thoughts and his and his and his guilt even though that's not how he presents and i did this when you picked nine days it's like oh yeah i can see some connections there's some mirroring there but yeah, yeah. it's about responsibility in a completely different way but I can see it. Like I can see the bridge between them. Yeah, and I think empathy too. I think it's mm -hmm. it's, it's about um, recognizing where where somebody's at and and finding ways to meet them there. I mean, going back to nine days one more time, like you know, Zazie beats leaving those post-it notes everywhere. You know, saying like, "Yeah, you didn't pick me, but like that's okay. I I share this other bond with you, and um, even if it's ephemeral." Um, it means something to me and I, I will, I will take another step forward. I'm not just going to expect you to step, you know, take that, that lean in. I'll step forward if I'm capable of doing it. Um, that, that I think we owe that to each other whenever we can, instead of just, you know, playing the victim. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I said, man, a lot of that is, is these two people that are trying to find ways to lean in and, and step in and connect where they, you know, could have just, and at some points do, but, but, but could have completely just shut down and said, like, I don't like the way, you know, things have played out for myself, or I don't like the way you've treated me, or I'm too sensitive. And so it's just easier for me to, to shut you out. I like it when people uh, do the work and, and find ways to connect. My God, we need that, don't we?
Yeah. And, and having an idealized, well, I'm, I'm, I guess the reverse of an idealized father-daughter relationship where it just, I, again, like Thomas Hayden Church just is so good at doing nothing and having everything going on underneath. I, I'm, the, the moments of hesitation, those moments where you can sort of feel him weighing whether or not to respond and then realizing he doesn't know how to respond. Like he's made the decision to commit, but then he still has to figure out what to say. And it passes in a second in his eyes. But it's, it's like nine days. You're just drawn closer and closer to this person through his inaction because you know there's something coming. You just don't know what shape it will take. And casting that and directing, I mean, how do you, how do you, when do you know that'll work? When, when did you know he was the guy? Well, that's a really cool, uh, yeah, I, I love, I love that connection to the, to the, um, to the Will character in Nine Days, because they're both, they're both these guys that are trying to protect themselves, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, I think with Thomas, well, there's, there were two things needed with the Asimov character. First of all, it, it's, it's a character who, it, yeah, this person has really, you know, they're, they're reclusive and, um, partially because they're protecting themselves from the world, which has handed them enough losses and bruises and cuts that they're just like, I, I'm going to be happier, you know, living in a protected state. Um, but also, I think it's also about a character who, um, is, is worried about hurting others and maybe knows that they're rough around the edges. So Thomas, Thomas, Thomas is acid man to a certain extent. He's, he's been living isolated on his ranch for quite a while. And he is um, such a good dude and such as has such a big heart. And yet he, he also is, is, you know, he's sensitive and, and uh, he's got his own share of um, relationships that, that haven't always worked out. And um, sometimes it's easier for him to be, you know, tending his cattle than than dealing with someone else that just doesn't make sense to him, right? Like that he just feels like, am I, you know, that that whole like, am I crazy? Like, what? Is, like, is there anyone else in the world that's like me or that thinks like me? And and um, because he feels so much, and because he can be so reactive, usually in a funny way, by the way. Um, <laughs> maybe that's my favorite thing about about him, both in real life and and uh, <laughs> and and the way he plays the character is like when he kind of goes quiet and you see his eyes, you're just thinking like is he going to punch me or is he going to make a joke? It could go either way at any second. And you just like find yourself leaning in. You're like, eh, I'm, I'm down for whatever happens because uh, you know, I'm just intrigued to see what happens next with you. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think it was about casting um, a sensitive man who uh, hadn't given up on life, but has built up some, some barriers so that he doesn't have to feel quite too much on any given day. He doesn't do a ton of press. He doesn't put himself out there uh you know he there's reasons why he protects himself and uh to be honest it was it was you know quite quite a journey trying to pull him out of 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 that you know seclusion and and drag him out to oregon to put himself out there uh on camera um it was great yeah and it's the same thing with duke right like it's a it's a revelation it's a performance that i hadn't seen thomas Hayden church give before and you know, I've been a fan. I, I was, I, I watched Wings. I, I remember, you know, like the, the, the broadness that he brought to that character, but also the, like that kind of weird sly savant thing that he was doing and how after Wings, he immediately picked something like Ned and Stacy where he gets to play an abrasive asshole because that's just one more way of 
distinguishing the character, but also I got the sense that in neither case did we really get him. It's yeah. like the thing about TV is it's supposed to reveal a character in the actor that you can then reuse repeatedly, but he's, he's so not interested in that. And, and here it's just this, it's not confusion, right? Like it's, it's Mm-mm. reflexive. It's yeah. It's what you said. It's self-protection. And yeah. he found a way to make it work in the character that we're watching, but also I did get the sense that we're seeing something of him uh, the same way, the same way Will and Winston Duke are probably very close to the same person, even if they don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a rawness that um, has to be protected, but, but if you give them opportunities to just shine and, and, and kind of come out, then they, they get to share something about themselves that, that very few people get to see and they come alive too, right? To, to see Thomas's character come to life as he talks about what the, the meaning of extraterrestrial life is for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels spiritual. And uh, I think that was important for me as well. Um, and I'm, um, I've always been a bit of a skeptic, but, um, part of my life's journey is definitely to appreciate, uh, people with different ideas and their different ideas, as long as they're not harmful to anyone, um, to, to be less judgmental of those ideas and to, to just appreciate what those ideas mean to, to the individual and how it gives their life, uh, more purpose and, and how it, you know, brings them to life, how it it actually motivates them and and allows them to find whatever it is that, that they need. Um, I love the idea that like I wrote this character uh, with Chris Dowling, my co-writer, uh, that, that is someone that I would have probably ridiculed five years ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when I, I guess we wrote it like five years ago, it's like 10 years ago, but, but the idea that, that, I mean, we were very sensitive in, 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 um, trying to find uh, the beauty in in what this guy believed, and um, uh, I don't know, you know, some of your listeners, probably many of your listeners, believe in UFOs. I still am asked the question sometimes, like, do you know, especially after this film, like, well, do you believe in UFOs now? And my answer is, I want there to be UFOs. Whereas I, like, I, like, I don't know, I, I still don't know, but I didn't used to like need there to be, and now it's like my goodness please yes like anything else to life that makes it bigger and grander and more surprising yeah something that punctures our narcissism as a species would not be the worst thing no and everybody said you know like it's the watchman versus id4 argument right like the aliens would just unite us in war against the aliens like probably for a little bit but yeah then maybe we talk to them and I think like the biggest somebody, probably Carl Sagan, someone way smarter than I am, um, said once that you know, like the, the most obvious proof that the existence of extraterrestrials is that they're not bothering us, that they know enough to leave Earth alone, <laughs> which which I like. But yeah. I, oh, yeah, I hope I'm around with first contact. I don't know what form it will take. Maybe it's already happened. But I think to be part of that. There are so, like, I think, you know, other than electricity, I don't think that there's been a moment that's united. Even the pandemic managed to splinter us more than it brought us together. I would love to see what happens. Um, Hopefully they're friendly or at least ambivalent, but Mm. to, yeah, I, I think Lloyd needs there to be something else 
and I get that it's the same. It, and it's basically his spirituality, right? Like it's a, it's a sort of belief that, that has become a necessity in his, in his existence. Hmm. Um, I think it's preposterous to imagine there are, we're the only life in the universe. I also kind of would understand if maybe we are the level of technological advancement that's around right now. So that would explain why no one else is visiting, but that's also the narcissism I was talking about, right? Like we, yeah. we, everybody always says this is a great time to be alive because it's true. It always is better than the past, but there's so much more to come. And yeah, I, uh, I am an incredibly cynical person about humanity, but about the other stuff, I'm, I'm pretty much an optimist. I want it to be true. It would be, yeah, I, I, I'm nervous as to what would happen if extraterrestrial life, you know, came down and started doing business with us because yeah business could be bad mm -hmm. <laughs> but but i mean even just like a, a definitive flyby right i'm not talking about like i'm not talking about the, even the footage in our in our film is you know we, we didn't see gia we actually uh, you know people filmed these pretty convincing uh movements of lights in the sky that feel like uh, that seems i don't know how to explain that but if there was a definitive one that we all got to see like think about if you've ever seen the Northern Lights with a group of people or a meteor shower or something, everybody's cynicism turns off for that kind of stuff. You just you just start looking up at the sky and every everything feels bigger than you, and um, it it puts us in a place not in a bad way, but it puts us in our in, in our place where we stop feeling like we're the end all be all. And if there was like a definitive flyby that everybody would go like, "Yep, that was definitely uh, a." a, a an alien species and that was you know some technology we don't even understand it came and it went and nobody you know said anything about like you know it would have to skywrite like we are not china <laughs> if it was definitive then 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 for a little while i think yeah like the world the world would be able to operate in a in a place of just a little more humility and and maybe it would allow us to be more curious about everything else instead of um opinionated right because yeah. like right now we have too many opinions about too many things and not only do we disagree about them but we're just certain about everything and uh it would be really nice for something like that to because yeah when i saw the northern lights it just made me feel like curious about everything like what else is in the world that like i could because i thought i knew what the northern lights were i'd seen pictures but then when i saw them in person i was like i have i have a lot of living to do <laughs> like I like there's a lot of things I need to experience that I thought I understood what they were because because they were on a screensaver. <laughs> um yeah. I, yeah. I, I I like the idea of of things pushing us to be being more curious instead of comfort instead of comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um yeah. and I know we're we're on a on the clock on this one, so I will get us to the final question, which is basically, and I think you've kind of already answered it, but is there anything of the movie you chose that's impacted your own work or affected? Is there something that you've borrowed or referenced or outright stolen from, from nine days that has made it into your, um, your toolbox? Well, let's see. Hmm. I, I, the, the only thing, well, you know what? So the ending of acid man, um, Oh God. I mean, I want people to watch this movie, but I'm going to be honest. I didn't, I don't think I stuck the landing as well as, uh, nine days did. Uh, and I don't think I stuck the landing as well as another round did, but I've, I learned something about how to end a film watching nine days. And I certainly pursued that. I'm, I still, I'm very proud of, and like the ending of, of, of acid man, but I, but I, um, 
I want to keep pursuing that ending that like kind of elevates the entire film. And if you can, if you get people to watch a movie, but then you give them this ending that goes, not only did we add some sort of resolution to the movie you've been watching it, watching, but now we're also presenting uh, to you um, the the theory that maybe this movie was also about something else. Um, that I think that's a cool way to, to to surprise an audience and to give them an ending that um, keeps them thinking about the film. Yeah, it's that little nudge of ecstasy at the end that just says, "Look, see, this is this too." Yeah, yeah, I love that stuff. Yeah, I can't wait to see what Ed Sonoda makes next, man. I ch- I, I check his IMDb all the time just to see if anything's cooking. <laughs> I'm a um, fan of his. Reach out. Executive yeah, produce, true. give him, give him, you know, whatever he wants. I'll, I'm in, I'll help. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to reach out to him. My thanks to Alex Lehman, whose new film Acid Man is now on digital and on demand in the U.S. and Canada. Thanks also to Laura Steen. She knows what she did. Alex isn't on Twitter, but you can find Nine Days on Blu-ray and DVD from Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. It's also streaming on Super Channel in Canada and on Stars and Direct TV in the U.S. and available to rent or buy on various VOD platforms. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the show is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com slash Semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 44 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get your booster when you can. I'll see you next week.